This is the current federal tax developments for the week of May the 24th, 2021. Current federal tax developments are brought to you by Kaplan Financial Education and by your state society of CPAs. Dollars, and this we're going to be talking about a few developments over the past week. First, we're going to be talking about the fact that the IRS is going to begin sending out the advanced child tax credit. Those payments will begin on July the 15th, and we'll talk about how they're going to come out over that time period. Harris has also announced a simplified method to file a return for those who are not quite required to file for 2020, but would qualify for an advanced child tax credit payment in 2021. So we'll talk about that. That's very similar to a program they did a year ago for the economic incentive payments. And then finally, the IRS provides a long question and answer program on the COBRA premium assistance payments. And we'll talk about how that's going to work and some of the back and forth, both from the perspective of those who may be having to file the 941s and having to uh, collect the money, figure out how it's going to work, but also from the perspective of the clients you might have who may qualify for this program. So we'll talk about how that would work, how they can qualify to get their basically premium-free medical coverage during the COPA program. So let's start out with news release IR 2021-113. And this was actually issued in May 17th of 2021. And what we're going to have here is going to advance child tax credit. Uh, these are the payments that were added by the American Recovery Program Act of 2021. The IR, may remember that what Congress did was increase the payments. So the child tax credit would become fully refundable. It would become larger. It would become extra large for any children under the age of six and it would be partially prepaid this year. And what they're going to do is the program stated that the IRS was to sometime in the last half of the year, beginning July 1st, sometime after July 1st, issuing payment checks to individuals who would qualify for, or who they believe based on this year's return, 2020's return, would qualify for the, advance, for the basically child tax credit on their 21 returns. So we'd use 20 as a way to guesstimate what 21 will look like. Based on that, they would compute the revised child tax credit this person would qualify for at that level of income with that number of dependents. And they would go ahead and they would apply that and pay half of that out. Now, because 17-year-olds will qualify this year, we won't really have anybody who will age out because if they were 16 this year and we're normally going to age out of the child, child tax credit in 21, they won't this year. Um, and those who were 17 last year will basically still be 18, and so they won't get it either way. So it'll be simpler for the service to figure out who stays on by getting that extra year. Now, what the IRS announced was that they are going to actually be able to begin making the payments on July 15th. So that is the date the program will start, and deposits should go in to taxpayers' accounts, taxpayers that qualify or that we would expect to qualify, to receive a child tax credit on the 21 return. They will then continue to make the payments by the fifth on the 15th, or if the 15th falls on a weekend, you know, by the first business day after that date. So they'll make the payments into the accounts on those days. So we'll be seeing it. So there'll be 12 payments made for one half. So monthly they should be receiving essentially their child tax credit that they would qualify for or based on the 2020 return divided by 12. Now, we will need to reconcile this on the 2021 return. Because of this, the IRS has announced that they will essentially 
uh, be setting up a site where you could opt out. If you know for sure we're not going to qualify, you just don't want to take the risk of having to pay it back, you could opt out, go to zero. It will still be computed and refunded on the final return. You know, so you may not have a problem there, or you might. It depends upon why you're losing out. If you're losing out due to income, then you're going to have a concern if you get past losing over half the credit. Uh, if you're, you know, phasing out or you just don't get it because it will no, the child will no longer be a dependent of yours in the future year, then, yeah, you have other reasons to opt out. There is no way currently, though, to go back in and add a child. So if you had a child born during this year, you're not going to be able to say, hey, I have a, I have a new child this year. We qualify for that child, so I should get the advanced child tax credit. IRS has indicated they're not going to get that up and running. So in any event, uh, you know, we should be seeing this. And the payment should be, if you, as long as you're not getting a reduced payment, it should be $300 per month for any child five years and younger and $300 a month or $250 a month for any child from age six through age 17. So we'll be looking for that particular uh, structure that'll go. Now, the IRS also released Revenue Procedure 2021-24. And this was meant to provide a way of working around uh, for taxpayers who didn't have to file a return on their tw for 2020, but want to be on record for 2021. And so essentially, those taxpayers are given the right to file a simplified return. And they'll put less on it if they weren't required to file. As well, the IRS has given a green light to a fairly simple workaround for electronically filing a return for somebody who has no AGI. You may know that e-file doesn't really work if your AGI is zero. So those taxpayers will be allowed to essentially create $1 of other income, and they'll use that as how they will qualify for being able to electronically file a return. The theory being, we get that in there. If your AGI is zero, we still get you on board and we still get you in the system. So again, that is notice 2021-24. If you are assisting someone in that role, you've been drafted to do it, uh, there is how you can go ahead and file those returns. And it's very, it's basically identical to the program we saw a year ago that was meant to cover a similar problem. Now let's go to notice 2021-23, issued on the 18th of May. This is the notice that was meant to give a series of questions and answers that relate to the COBRA Premium Assistance Program and tax credit that were enacted as part of the American Rescue Plan Act of 2021. And this goes on for a number of pages, 41 pages of information that tells us about various questions and answers to deal with this program. And it gets complicated, but, you know, we'll try to kind of walk through some of the key aspects here. Obviously, if you are either, and there are two groups that should be interested in this. First, obviously, if you're an employer or insurer that has to deal with the tax credit, you're going to want to read this and understand who needs to be offered it, what you have to do, how you get the money for it, etc. If you are somebody representing a client who has had a qualifying event, that is an involuntary termination of employment or uh, has reduced their hours and lost coverage for either one of those two events, uh, then you want to kind of realize who qualifies for it, 
who can get their COBRA premiums paid effectively from the 1st of April through September. So April, May, so basically April, May, June, July, August, September, they'll be able to get their COBRA premiums paid. So obviously it's kind of an interesting little program. Let's talk about first who's eligible for the uh, premium assistance. And the key is you're an assistance eligible individual if you are essentially a qualified beneficiary. Now that includes not just the employee, but all the other people who might be covered under the policy or were covered under the policy. Got to make that clear. And because there was a reduction of hours of the covered employee's employment that caused the loss of coverage or there was the involuntary termination of the employee's employment other than for a reason of the employee's gross misconduct. And we'll discuss that. That's actually a COBRA provision. You don't qualify for COBRA if you're terminated for gross misconduct. Therefore, you can't qualify for this credit, for this payment, because you can't get the basic COBRA. The individual has to be eligible for COBRA continuation coverage for some or all the period that begins on April 1st of 2021 and running through September 30, 2021. So there has to be a COBRA period for their coverage that would cover fall within that time frame. It may cover the entire time frame. It may only cover a portion of it, but there has to be some coverage period inside that beginning of April to end of September time frame that we're going to have, right? That'll be there. Now, as noted, it includes not just the employee, but dependents, uh, basically spouses and dependent children, uh, you know, of those who had the loss in coverage that resulted. Now, a qualified beneficiary is they have to be basically covered under the plan as of the date there is the loss of coverage. So, for instance, if you were, let's say, you're an employee, you're working for a company, the company offers you uh, self-only coverage or you can get family coverage. It will cost a little bit more to get family coverage. So you opt to go self-only. In that case, if you are, if your employment is terminated, you're not going to be able to get the COBRA payments for coverage for your spouse or child because they weren't covered under the program as of the date of the loss of coverage. Why might somebody do that? Maybe it's very, it's possible that the spouse and child might qualify for cheaper coverage, less expensive coverage outside of that employer. But obviously the catch is zero cost coverage is cheaper than anything, but you don't get that right if they weren't covered at that point. Now there is an exception for a child born or adopted to an employee during a period of COBRA continuation coverage, uh, or in certain cases where the coverage was wrongfully denied to the individual. So if the employee then has a child after, you know, after the termination event or reduction of hours event, that child could still be added to it because that child wasn't able to be covered prior to that date. Um, you know, and we get into that issue. And you might qualify, as Iris said, under more than one category. Theoretically, it's possible that you could become a qualified and eligible individual more than once, not likely, but possible. Uh, employers can require individuals to self-certify or attest they're eligible for this program. And generally, the employer will be able to rely on that certification unless they know the employee is not eligible in this case. And so they also, one of the reasons why you're going to have, have to get some self-certification 
is because the employees lose coverage under this program the minute they become eligible for coverage under any other employer's program or for Medicare. Obviously, I can't know if they've gotten an offer and started working and when they're going to become eligible. I have no right to know when my ex-employee is going to become eligible for coverage under the employer's plan, the new employer's plan. And by definition, for COBRA purposes, that never mattered because they could still continue their COBRA coverage if they wanted to. But under this program, as soon as they become eligible on their new employer's plan, then they have to stop getting these payments. So the government's not going to pay for this premium anymore because they're now back employed and have you know, the right to get a hopefully subsidized premium from the new employers. So that's why we need that certification and we can rely on it. But if we rely on it, we do need to keep a copy of that certification for the IRS. Uh, and be very clear, only an involuntary termination or reduction of hours qualifies you for COBRA premium assistance. There are other qualifying events that can cause you to qualify for COBRA. That won't work here. So, for instance, if you were, if you had a divorce because of the divorce, you know, the employee's spouse is now no longer eligible under the plan. That would be a loss of coverage due to a qualifying event. But that spouse cannot qualify to get the premium paid for by the government. So you have to deal with that, right? Those qualifying events don't count. That was it. Now, some other complications. What if this employee, you, let's say you terminate the employee, because remember, if, as long as you have a coverage period that would have gone over April 1st to September 30, what happens if that employee got hired after you terminated them, right? They qualified for coverage at another employer, but by April 1st, because you can go, remember, with 18 months coverage, this would go back quite a ways to when you terminate them, they may very well, let's say, have been laid off or, you know, or the or the company might have dropped coverage entirely. So, you know, if that happened, as long as they were not eligible on April 1st, they can come back in and they can qualify under this program. The fact they previously had a right to elect coverage, but didn't, the law says, well, that's not a problem. And the idea probably is they didn't know there was going to be this magic rule that they had to have elected that prior coverage. And they'd point out that person still won't have coverage. Right. You know, whatever it was, they still didn't have coverage. Now, what's kind of interesting about that when we talk about this issue. You know, we, we get into that sort of range is, yeah, it appears that even if they took coverage under the second employer, they might theoretically have a right to elect between the two employers as to which coverage they want pay for. Now, you know, like I said, and that's, you know, that's basically how it works. Even if they'd enrolled, but then they lose their right to get there, we're still good. However, if they decline to do so after April 1st, they were eligible on April 1st to enroll in another group plan, or they were eligible after April 1st to enroll in Medicare, they decline to do so. Even if they lose that right in the future, they still can't qualify for this. The theory being, beginning on April 1st, you're not supposed to turn those things down. If you do, it doesn't qualify for this, right? In this issue, right? Um, you know, and again, once you get to Medicare, you're not eligible to be in this when you get into Medicare. Um, we have this, but if you go out to the health insurance exchange where you get the premium tax credit, 
that coverage does not disqualify you. So if they have coverage through the exchange and now they can qualify for this, they can come back on your COBRA program. That's how the structure will work. So it is kind of interesting how that goes. Also, they said, look, if a reduction in hours and voluntary termination of employment follows an earlier qualifying event such as divorce, does that make the qualifying beneficiary eligible? Uh, and the answer is no. So let's say the theory is we have a divorce. The spouse of the employee you know, now suddenly loses coverage because of the divorce. And maybe he or she goes ahead and pays the COPA premium so they continue their coverage. Well, now, sometime a few months after that, the employee is terminated. Sorry, the spouse cannot qualify for the payments because the spouse's terminating event was not the loss of employment by the employee. It was the divorce situation. So again, once you qualify under one with loss of coverage, you can't then kind of sneak in again through another mechanism. Even if you're paying for COBRA coverage and the covered employee kind of drops off, that doesn't really change anything. Um, you know, all of these issues, right? Now, if you're not subject to a specifically COBRA plan, but you but they're just offered coverage, sorry, can't do that. So let's say you're working for a small employer. The small employer has laid you off. You were offered by them to continue your coverage. That's not going to qualify for this. You must be under COBRA. And in some limited extents, many COBRAs that offer an extension of the federal coverage appears to be the key issue there. It also does, it's not available to uh, temporary continuation coverage elected under the Federal Employees Health Benefit Program. That doesn't qualify either. They will have to continue to pay it, right? You know, but if you are on, if you get to stay with COBRA for an extended period of time due to disability or a state mini COBRA program extended the coverage period, that will qualify for the subsidy. It's not just limited to the 18 months period that you'd be normally allowed to get COBRA if you were terminated. If you're allowed an extended period under state law that ties back to the federal COBRA, you'll still get it if you're understanding under it because of a disability exception, you'll also get it. Retiree health coverage, a little more complicated. They talk about that on here. Um, and, you know, we talk about this. It also, the premium assistance does not apply to those who are not qualified individuals. So if you're paying for more than are qualified under COBRA, you have to kind of work that. It's kind of worked out under a with and without calculation when you see this. Um, all of those issues. Now, also, you know, basically, if you if an individual elected retroactive COBRA coverage on the emergency relief notice and neither making nor owing premiums for retroactive coverage, has been made will make them eligible for the premium ineligible for premium assistance. However, you know, you need to pay up those old premiums. That's still going to be a potential problem that you could have, so you could opt in. Now the IRS makes very clear in this notice that the reduction of hours loss of coverage actually can be voluntary. I can just go to my employer and say, you know, I don't want to work, you know, I at this point I need to cut back my hours. Maybe the kids are still out of school. You know, maybe there's some other reason why I just can't handle the hours right now. So I want to reduce my hours, and I'm going to reduce my hours enough to drop off the health care coverage. Even though that is my voluntary deal, I was not, you know, wasn't a case the employer said, we're reducing your hours, I just chose to reduce them. I can still qualify for this. Uh, that's kind of interesting, again, 
Uh, similarly, and what they're going to say here, a furlough qualifies. Now, they had to clarify that because technically a furlough is your lose your employment, but they're planning to bring you back. So you haven't really lost employment entirely. Well, they're saying, yeah, that's it. They kind of treat that as a reduction of hours to zero, kind of that way. Also, if you have a lawful strike initiated by employees of the representative or a lockout, those also are qualifying events for reduction of hours. Now, we talk about termination of employment, though, that has to be involuntary. So essentially, normally this is easy. What we're looking at here is the employee has to be ready and willing to continue to work, and the employer has to essentially have either denied that right going forward, saying, nope, you're not, not, we're not going to have you work here anymore, or they have to have made a material change in the nature of the employment such that the employee cannot really continue in what was their job before. And that second category is where things get a little more interesting. You know, like, okay, here's some examples having question 25. What if an employee becomes ill, right, due to illness or disability, right? You know, at that point, does the involved termination to end in, while the individual is, you know, absent due to work or disability? Uh, yes. You know, if the involuntary termination occurs when they're basically when they're sick or whatever, uh, you know, if there's a reasonable expectation, the employee would return to work when the illness disability subsided. Uh, mere absent from work due to illness disability before the employer has taken action to end their employment is not involuntary termination. It may be a reduction of hours that results in a loss in coverage. So you need to check that. Uh, retirement generally is not going to qualify. So if you decide to take retirement, um, that's going to be considered a voluntary termination in most cases, unless it was a situation where it was kind of a forced retirement. You are not ready and able to continue. Uh, they also talk about termination for cause. Involuntary, involuntary termination will be, termination for cause will not, dis, will not cause you to fail. However, please remember, that if you are terminated due to gross misconduct, you don't qualify for COBRA, period, so there's no premium to be paid. So bottom line, if you're terminated for cause, but it doesn't rise to the level of gross misconduct, then you're eligible for the premium assistance because you're eligible for COBRA. If you're terminated for gross misconduct, and quite often it's going to be a similar test that we see for going for unemployment, where the employer says, that, yes, I know I terminated them, but I terminated them for gross misconduct at a level that would qualify them, qualify me to not have to have them hit my unemployment account. Uh, we'd be looking at kind of a similar level of, sort of actions. However, if the employer says, you know what, you're working currently here in Phoenix. Um, well, we don't really want you in Phoenix anymore. We want you to go work in Anchorage. If the employee quits because of that, yes, there was a whole 40-hour job available for them in Anchorage, Alaska. But that's considered an involuntary termination because that is a major change in the basic nature of the employment. So in one sense, it's like they don't even have, you know, they're not offering you the same basic coverage. Now, but they do make clear an employee that just quits for good clause, that's not going to be, if you just think you have a good reason for quitting, that won't necessarily cover you have to demonstrate that the employer's action or inaction resulted in a material negative change in the employment relationship that was analogous to a constructive discharge. 
So you can't just say that it was for cause, you know, whatever the employer, you know, whatever they're doing. I'm not going to say, nope, I'm not here anymore. I'm out of here. I quit, I quit for a good reason. That's not going to work unless you can show there was a basically change in the relationship. Um, you know, also, if your child's unable to attend school due to a COVID-19 lockdown situation, that's not it. The employee maintained the ability to return to work and it's qualifying as temporary leave of absence. It's a voluntary reduction in hours. So you wouldn't necessarily, you might have a reduction in hours and qualify, but you wouldn't qualify for an involuntary and employer-initiated termination of employment. Okay. And it talks about this also. But if the employer, let's say, reduces your, so let's say right now you're working 40 hours a week. The health care plan, you know, requires you have an average of 25 hours a week, let's say, in order to be covered or 20 hours a week, whatever. So the employer reduces your hours to 30. Now, that did not cause a loss of coverage, right? But this rule says that significant material reduction, losing one quarter of your hours, one quarter of the pay, that's considered to be a material change in the nature of the employment. Thus, if the employee quits due to that, that is a employer-initiated involuntary termination. Uh, death may be involuntary, but it doesn't qualify for this purpose as involuntary termination, right? So the spouse and the children will not become eligible for assistance. So if the employee dies, the spouse and they don't cover, don't come under that rule. So be aware of that. But it does include if an employee, let's say an employee had a contract. You have an employee who's working to you under an annual contract. Let's say this contract is going to expire here at the end of May. We just elect not to renew the contract. That is an involuntary termination. That will qualify for the premium assistance. Okay. Now, so let's talk about what's eligible for premium assistance. They have a few clarifications here. They do tell us that, yes, it qualifies if it's dental or vision-only plan can qualify for this. Retiree health coverage, it's, it can count, but it's got to be offered under the same group health plan. Uh, if it's a different plan or something, you're not going to be able to get in there. Uh, COBRA premium assistance for HRAs, yes, HRA coverage is covered, right? Um, you know, it works very similar. FSAs are similar uh, under that background. Uh, individual coverage HRAs, you can have it under that. Now, this is a quirky difference. If you have an individually coverage HRA, remember that was established by the IRS under regulations. That goes back, I think, to 2019. I say that because I remember talking to a reporter about the issue on the telephone uh, sitting in uh, basically not far from the Westchester Airport. And therefore, I was at an airport, so I remember it's got to be 2019, right? I wasn't at a Westchester Airport in 2020, when in most airports in 2020. So it's back in 2019, we had this individual coverage HRA. Individual coverage HRAs qualify for COBRA. They are considered a COBRA-covered plan. So this could be, with individual coverage HRA, we could end up qualifying for this premium assistance. But it does not go for a QSE HRA, right? The Qualified Small Employer Health Reimbursement Account, which some of you may consider kind of the same. It's kind of similar. It is similar, but not the same as individual coverage HRA. Because QSE HRAs are not eligible for COBRA continuation coverage, because that's how they were drafted in the law. They don't qualify for this premium assistance if you do offer somebody to continue beyond that, right? 
that's also kind of weird as it goes, right? Uh, if an employer is, if now let's say the employee comes in, they decide I'm going to be COBRA, but we no longer offer the plan that was there when they, you know, lost their coverage. We have to get them in essentially uh, the closest plan, the most similar plan to the prior plan. Now, this is the one exception. Generally, they can't move up to a more expensive level of coverage. But if that prior plan, you know, if the closest plan you currently have, let's say you took the company as a whole from a less expensive plan to one that offers higher levels of coverage, that would count for this purpose because that's the only plan you've got. And that's going to be the most similar plan you have to what they had before. But if you kept the old plan and you got this new really nice plan on top of it, if they elect that really nice plan, they're actually going to have to pay the whole premium, not just the difference. So it gets a little weird in that area. Now, we talk a little bit about here the beginning of the COBRA assistance premiums. It's going to be the first applicable period of coverage beginning on or after April 1st. Uh, that could be monthly or a shorter period where they're paying. So they're going to do that. And the start date would be when the premiums are would have normally been charged to the plan recipient. So again, it's the first date we would have charged them on or after April 1st is the date that counts for this beginning period, right? I know. Now, it talks about here, you know, must an assistance of eligible individual electing COBRA generation college under the extended election periods begin coverage as of April 1st? No. We have to make it available then. You actually could pick it up at a later date, and that may be because it took a while for you to figure it out, a time to get into it, so you could actually pick it up on a later date. What if the employer was subject to COBRA when you terminated these people back in 2020, but you're no longer covered by COBRA here in 2021? Doesn't matter. It's the date of the event, which has always been true under COBRA, that determines if there has to be COBRA coverage offered to this individual, not whatever has happened on the date they actually elect. So they're saying, even though they're electing here in 2021, and even though you're not COBRA, you're not required to offer COBRA here in 2021, you're still going to have to offer this one because that, you know, you're not allowed to push that back, right? Now, here's the other interesting one. Can you elect the premium credit continuation coverage after September 30th? And the answer is yes, but only while that 60-day notice period is still open. So in theory, if you had, let's say, gotten the coverage, you'd paid for it, you hadn't known about this program, now we determine you should be covered by it, you can actually make the application and you'll qualify for the credit. It's kind of interesting how that works. So you could actually have this coming in October. Now let's go to the other end of the period, the end of the period. Generally, they're going to get premium assistance until the first date they become eligible for other group health coverage or Medicare coverage, the date they would cease to be eligible for COBRA coverage just period. So, you know, if their 18 months ends on August the 10th, from August the 11th forward, they're not eligible for this particular paid for COBRA. Or the last, the end of the last period of coverage beginning on or before uh, September 30, 2021. So it depends upon how often you charge for the premium and what periods are covered, but generally you're going to push them somewhere into October, assuming they don't lose coverage before then is what they're going to get. So remember that. And if somebody does that, so they have that last payment, let's say it's monthly, let's say it's on the 15th of the month. 
So they pay on September 15th. Well, they've still elected COBRA, so come October 15th, they will be presented with a bill for coverage. Okay, now remember, under the law, we have some notification rules to tell them that's going to be coming, but that's how it hands off. You know, they don't need to make a separate COBRA election. We're going to just continue on at that point until their normal COBRA period would uh, cover it, right? Um, what happens if, and they got this interesting question, and we're going to discover that, yes, the employee is going to be nailed, not the employer. What happens if an employee, you know, an assistance eligible individual fails to notify the employer of the fact that they now qualified for group coverage or they qualify for Medicare? Well, now that employee or that eligible beneficiary is going to be subject to a penalty of up to $250 for each failure to notify the issuer. And if the failure is fraudulent, it'll be the greater $250 or 110% of the COBRA premium assistance improperly received. Now, if you can show that your failure was due to reasonable cause and not willful neglect, then you're fine, right? Uh, you know, the, the plan or the issuer who received premium assistance, the amount of excess premium credit, has no right to the penalty payment. Rather, it goes to the IRS. However, the employer or the insurer will not generally have to pay back that money. And finally, they said, okay, so we already told you that death doesn't qualify you. So if, if you die, you know, the spouse and kids are just tough luck, right? They're not going to get paid under this. What if, however, you had laid off the employee, right? They make this election as of April 1st. You know, they make this election during this period. And then before September 30, that, that employee dies or that former employee now dies. In that case, the spouse and kids will continue to qualify as assistance eligible individuals. Remember, they were assistance-eligible individuals who lost coverage because of the reduction of hours or the voluntary termination of the employee. And what we're looking at is that they didn't get coverage due to death. But because of that, they still qualify for the credit. That's the way the IRS looks at this. Now we're going to talk a little bit about the extended election period. So we have that under this rule too. Now we have this, you know, if you, what if you elect self-only coverage, let's say, but you only have a spouse and child, right? So if you had a reduction of hours, you elected self-only, can you, you know, basically, may a spouse or children who is qualified beneficiary in connection with the reduction of hours or this continuation coverage, right? Uh, go ahead and elect, even though the, even though the employee said self-only, can the spouse and kids now on their own say, hey, guys, I want to go ahead and get on this too. Actually, the answer is yes. So, yes, the employee could say self-only, but they could, you know, the spouse and kids could come in as well. They have their own right to raise this issue. Because, again, they're a qualified beneficiary. Once they're there, they have rights in that area. Um, is the election period available if the period is provided only under state law and not federal COBRA? No. If the election period, right, that's it, right, is under continuation coverage, only covers under federal law, doesn't qualify. But if it's a state extension of the federal law, it does qualify. It gets a little weird, right? And as I said, if you had an open election period, uh, want Supreme Assistant coverage, but not regular COBRA. If you remember, last year we suspended days, and that means that there are a lot of people who may have lost coverage whose COBRA 60-day election period is still suspended. Now, the question comes. Now we have this special rule. Can they opt to get in? And the answer is, okay, yes. 
can they do that without going back to the first day to you know so do they have to go back to the first day and opt in no but here's where the quirks gonna come up under this rule if they don't once they try to get into this program they have to tell you and they have to decide at that point if they're going to go back under the old program and if they're going to go back and elect under that first extended period they got to go back and pay those premiums if they decide they're not going to do that we're just going to start now okay great but when they do that they have now given up the right to use that extended election period we have now triggered the election and you decided i don't want to pay for any of the old stuff i want to start april 1st or whatever day you're starting and okay fine great we'll go with that date and you just you know we'll go forward but you've now given up the right you get that prior one. So this is considered to be a decision to opt COBRA. And you do have to, you know, kind of work on that issue. Now, if the plan in question is a health reimbursement arrangement and you opt to take it as of April 1st, but ignore the prior period, the HRA cannot reimburse expenses that were prior to the date you opted in, right? In essence, in an HRA, you know, the payor is going to be given the money actually expended on health care for these people. They cannot go back and reimburse prior periods. The employee has to pay for those periods if they want the coverage there. Uh, the IRS makes it clear that if an individual had previously elected COBRA uh, but said, I didn't want the comprehensive coverage, I'll go ahead and take the, let's say, the vision or I'll take the dental. They can now, during this special period, add the comprehensive coverage. So they could beef it back up if they wanted to, even though they had taken a limited one. The IRS talks some more about how this interacts with the extended election periods under the COBRA notices. You remember, like I said, we had from last year special rules that essentially extended that period. So they had so the six-day period got suspended, other issues. Okay, they said, well, yeah, that's still there, right? And... But the election period, this period does not get covered by that. By that, I mean, you have September 1st, you have 60 days from the day you get notice of this special enrollment period to get this premium assistance. You have 60 days to do that. The pause, and this pause is going to continue until the end of the national emergency is declared. We declared a national emergency back in March of 2020. Uh, that national emergency has not yet been declared over, uh, you know, was not declared over. It's gone all the way through last year coming to this year. It'll be up to the president to declare it over or, you know, for various other things or to get some guidance from the DOL or Department of Labor on that area. So it still continues to this day. But if you want this special paid for version, you got to move now. And like I said, you got to make some choices about do you want to go ahead and have the prior periods covered, which if you had some medical expenses, you might want to. So that's a little weird. It also in here discusses, okay, if you do have those prior premiums, which you have to pay, uh, what happens if the employee doesn't pay them for all the premiums up to September 1st? Uh, basically there they say we're going to be considered on a first-in basis to have paid for the earliest months first. So if they don't get the whole thing in there, they're going to lose the months just before September 1st. Uh, we have a discussion here about payments to insurers, right? We had that issue. Whoops. Got this here. So we had this. So we had that emergency notice. We have some payments to insurers here. 
generally, you know, if you have an insured plan, it's not a multi-employer plan. If you insure, if you agree, the insurer collected premiums premiums directly from the beneficiary. Is the insurer required to retreat that individual is having paid the full premium? Yes. So it doesn't matter. Let's say you've got your agreement with Blue Cross, you're a covered employer, you and Blue Cross have agreed that the employees will pay the premiums directly to Blue Cross. Um, Blue Cross can't say, well, we weren't an employer, so eh, tough luck, you know, you don't pay, you know, don't don't whine to us. It's not our issue. Yeah, they still have to do it. You're going to find out there's going to be a pecking order here. But generally, you know, the 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 insurance company in that scenario is going to have to treat the premium as having been paid. They're not going to get out of it because they, you know, weren't ex weren't the employer. Now, state premium coverage, this gets a little weird. And this one's, it's very odd how state mini COBRAs ex do this. Generally, they can extend the program. Generally, though, they cannot create, if you qualified under a mini COBRA program, and that's the only way you qualify, and the program would not have been covered under federal law, essentially, the notice tells you you're out of luck in this area. It won't work for that purpose. However, if state law like just extends and says, well, everybody gets 36 months, because we have that weird 18 months if you lose your job, but 36 months for everything else, if they said this goes for 36, then it would qualify for that period. Okay. Now, we're talking about calculation of the credit, right? You know, what's the amount of the credit? Generally, if you don't subsidize COBRA, it's going to be the full amount that they would pay you, right? Whatever, that 102% up to 102% is there. If the employer subsidizes, this is where it gets a little weird. So let's say that you pay, you know, you have your employees who have lost coverage that you've terminated or that had a reduction of hours. You have them pay 75% of the premium. You're only going to qualify to get 75% of the premium back as a credit. You'll still eat the 25%. However, it gets a little weird. So what they're going to say here is, okay, that's true. But then they go on in a later question. What if you had a plan that you now change? So you say, nope, now, maybe just from April 1st to September 30, apparently, uh, you know, the employee is going to have to pay the entire amount. We're not going to subsidize, you know, the COBRA continuation payments. Then the employer gets the full subsidy. The subsidy is paid in full. The employer does not have to eat the 25%. And then they go on to even say, and you could do that. And you could even like, you know, give a separate taxable payment to the assistance eligible individual. And yeah, that'll work too. So you could split the benefit. It's like, it's a little weird how it goes in, but they say that that's fine. And again, they, they remind us that the state programs, if they only do that, aren't going to qualify for that. It's question 67. Um, basically, if you have uh, question 68 tells you how it's going to happen if they're paying a COBRA premium and some of the people that are now covered are not assistance eligible individuals because they weren't they are not the proper type of beneficiary. You know, they're not one of the two categories that qualify or. You know, they maybe added people later. Your plan allows that to happen, but they weren't covered on the date of loss of coverage. They tell you how to do that. As I said, it's pretty much a with and without calculation. How much would we have charged them if those people weren't on the policy? How much are we charging them now? What's our total charge for them if they are? And whatever that difference is will not qualify for the credit, but the rest will. So it's possible 
you might see somebody added, but if under your plan it wouldn't change how much they pay, then you're still going to get the full credit, right? Um, we talked about the coverage under COBRA, the limitation there. Um, you know, in reserve coverage, HRA is 102% amount actually reimbursed for that eligible individual. So, you know, we're back in that structure. And again, individual coverage HRAs qualify, others don't. Finally, we look at who can claim the credit. And it's an interesting pecking order here. Okay, first, if you have a multi-employer plan, then that is considered to be the premium payor who gets the credit. If you are a, the common law employer ma maintaining the plan, right, which means the employer normally would be considered the payor and would get the credit, but only if some portion of it is self-insured. So in essence, you have those programs maybe where you're under your health reimbursement arrangement, you're paying for part of the deductible. And then once it exceeds or you have a plan, you know, where you've got with the insurer, you've got this deal where there's a stop loss insurance policy, uh, but you basically pay for most medical expenses. Uh, then, yeah, you're the payor. However, if it's a fully insured plan, that's going to be the insurer providing the program is going to be the payor and will have to pick that money up, right? Uh, government entities can qualify for this if they qualify otherwise. Uh, generally, the timing is once the election has been made and the payment would come due, you can qualify to get the credit and reduce your uh reduce your 941 deposits, whoever it is. And so it's kind of funny, but you think about this. You're going to talk about somebody like, let's say, you know, insurance company here, like we have here, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Arizona. And let's say we were a COBRA covered company. We're not here. My CPA firm isn't. Uh, but if we were, then in theory, you know, Blue Cross Blue Shield would get paid for if we like laid somebody off and they were under this program. Blue Cross Blue Shield would be have to eat that premium, but then they would get the premium paid by the feds, but they would have to use it against their own payroll taxes. Again, if they don't have enough payroll tax liability, then they could file the form 7200 and get it paid directly to them, right? That's the key. So you can reduce your deposits first. If you don't have enough deposits to do, then you can turn around and ask for 7200. You cannot file a 7200 anticipatory. You cannot and you can't reduce your deposit in an anticipatory fashion. You have to wait for the actual credit to be earned to get that, right? That, that's where you have it. Now, the interesting aside is, what if the premium payee does not have any employment tax liability? A lot of multi-employer plans are not going to have employees. The plan won't. Well, it turns out they're going to have to file 941. That's how they're going to be covered under this issue, right? So that's how these things go. Now, they tell us, everybody, that, yeah, don't worry about if the assistance eligible individual failed to tell you they qualified for medical coverage. We're not going to come take the credit back from you. We are going and pursuing the assistance eligible individual for the penalties and other issues relying from that. Uh, the premium credit, they do remind us it is included in gross income under section 6432 of the code. You have to pick that up as income. Uh, with regard to this, you cannot get a credit though for any amounts that are being covered by the qualified health plan by basically by the, um, you can't get a double benefit for employee retention credit or the uh, rules that regard the uh, Families First Coronavirus Relief Act pay, you know, the leave credits, you can't double up on those, right? 
Uh, Third-party payors do not value up here. There's a lot of questions and answers about the various different types of arrangements you might have with a third-party payor and how they're going to handle that situation. So if you're in that situation, I strongly suggest you get toward the end of the questions. Just start kind of following that through to kind of figure out how they, you know, how they got that done. Now, the final one's kind of interesting. What if, let's say that somebody got laid off and, you know, and let's say a charity began paying their COBRA premiums while they were laid off. Now, let's say that now it turns out, right, so we come back, the charity has paid their premiums for April and May, and now we finally get this guidance. So we realize, oh, they're, they're covered, they can elect in, they elect in. Do we essentially uh, pay back the charity? And the answer is not generally. We won't pay back the charity. Uh, you know, we reimburse the individual in that case, right? Unless you're aware the individual has assigned the right to the reimburse payments to the third party. So that could get a little interesting if you have charities that have been reimbursing, like churches, etc., that have been reimbursing such payments for people that are in need. Uh, yeah, they, they might have a little fun getting reimbursed under this unless the employee basically says, yep, you should pay them. But in any event, it makes it interesting. Well, this has been the current federal tax developments here for the week of May the 24th. Federal tax developments are brought to you by Capital Financial Education and by your state's CPAs. Uh, if you have any questions, you can email me, edzollers at currenttaxdevelopments.com. I also look in on the Connect sites for a number of state societies. So my society here in Arizona. Also look in on New Jersey, Illinois, Minnesota, Washington. Look at those societies. So I kind of keep an eye there about questions, see if I can help somewhere on those sites. If you have a question, you can look in there. Uh, otherwise, we look forward. We hopefully will get back to you next week. I was just a little delayed due to commitments this weekend and getting this out this week, so I apologize a little bit later than normal. But hopefully we'll be back to the regular schedule next week and we'll be able to talk to you about whatever is happening in the area of current federal tax developments.